Welcome to Moot, the podcast where mistakes are guaranteed and our point is Moot. I am your co-host, Jeremy, and with us is Joe. Hello. And today we are going to discuss, well, actually, so this is kind of cool. So I run a poetry workshop uh, once a month, and I've been doing this since 2015. So it's, it's a long-running workshop. Uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland Library System, they host uh, an annual reading, and we, do, we publish anthologies. And Joe went to it because it right now, because of the coronavirus, we can't meet in person and we've been doing it by a Zoom meeting. And he went to the most recent workshop and I wanted to know what his impression was. We thought we'd make a, a podcast episode about it. So Joe. Yeah. I've been waiting for two days to talk about this. <laughs> okay. I've been waiting. We make, we make packs. Like if we know that we're going to discuss something, we stop talking about it. Like it can be mid sentence. Sometimes we'll be, we'll, we'll hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. He said, he says packs, but I, I do all the fucking heavy lifting on this, this area. Because he will not stop talking when he's interested and engaged. And so I have to continuously just say, no, shut the fuck up. Don't tell me anything. No, no, I want to go blank. I want to go blank. Uh, You know this to be true, Jeremy. (laughs) This to be true. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, you know, (laughs) surprise listeners, I'm a little long-winded and I like hobbies where i get to talk a lot <laughs> yeah that's why we're doing this whole fucking thing <laughs> yeah so what would you what'd you think i actually liked it quite a lot i thought it was great um i it wasn't it's not it was not what i expected it was not what i expected at all um my expectations going in was that it would be a lot of like young new age kind of hippie dippy people who were like talking about the moon and stars and uh, i don't know like how how, why hemp is better than you know cotton (laughs) i'm I'm exaggerating but like that that was the area i was uh expecting a lot of like pretension essentially because that's that's like my somewhat ignorant (laughs) view of what poetry is right uh, and you know, I, I like poetry in general. I think it's I think it's cool. Feel like the people doing poetry, unless they're like living through a war or something like that, are yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah, they're 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 the kind of people who cut themselves for attention. Uh, having said all this, uh, I actually I was I was really really surprised. I thought I thought the I thought the poems were actually quite deep people went in on things that were like really close like really near and dear to their heart they were talking about like real shit that happened to them or feelings they were feeling uh and i don't know it, it kind of got to me some some of those poems really got to me like I, I could feel the weight of the words and just hearing some people read it i could really feel like yeah this this is real you know, and I thought that was so beautiful. I was also kind of surprised about the the what's uh, what's the word like the, the demographic. Like your poetry workshop seemed to be a lot of like older people. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to see uh, th- that many old faces because I thought it was like a university thing or something. Uh, and there was just you know uh, a bunch of kids trying to like get their emotions in order. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, and I thought that was kind of kind of sweet because I, I I never thought old people uh, were the type to really like. I thought if you only found the people who have like long gray hair and hemp clothes were the ones who made poems. I didn't think the you know baseline uh, old person would uh, would be that into poetry, especially not that many old guys. That actually surprised me tremendously. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Like, uh, I, like the, mo- the most difficult thing with the whole thing was the fact that I did not have a camera on or a microphone on, and I just kind of wanted to engage with all of them. <laughs> I just wanted to talk and be with them, but I didn't have po- I didn't have any poems, and it really wasn't you know, like a place for me to, you know, crave the limelight, so to say. <laughs> this was their thing. Oh, that was tough. I think they would have appreciated your insight. You 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 typed a comment in the text chat, and oh, I typed the uh, type two, I think. Okay, I saw the one. I saw the one. Oh, I didn't yeah. see both of them. Sometimes That's good because the other one wasn't so good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you talk. No, I I I was happy. To, I was happy that you were there, and there's so many like places, things that I want to respond to there. I think the first thing I want to address is maybe the emotional weight of it because I feel that every single time I turn off or, or when, when I, when I drive, when I, before COVID, when I was driving home, I'd leave the, you know, I'd leave the room and everybody would pack up and leave. And some, you know, usually someone stays by behind to talk and driving home. I always feel this, this pressure lifted, but it's, it's kind of like you just took, all your final exams, like you had, you, you, you're, you're at the end of the semester, you're, you're in undergrad, you have like four final exams on like the same day, you know, one of those days, like you wake up at 7am, then you go to, to another exam at like a 10. And then there's like one and two in the afternoon. And then you've got your night class exam or some shit. And you're just like, no, I can't do another one. But when you finish with that exam, you're emotionally and like mentally just done. And you go back and you're like, well, should I have a drink? And it's like, ah, I'm not even going to drink any alcohol because there's no point. Like I, <laughs> my brain's already at, you know, I already feel like I'm drunk. <laughs> it's just, I guess it's not that visceral, but it, it, I do, I do feel an emotional weight and I, I find it difficult to do a lot of thinking. Like I don't like watching dramas or I just, I, I sit in front of the TV and I watch comedy after the poetry workshop yeah and there are times that people will bring in very personal things like things that make it tough to even comment on the writing because now you're discussing like a situation that you've never you couldn't even really imagine like yeah like if you if you have a poem about something horrible that happened to you when you were a kid or something like that yes i there was a there was a woman and I, I have I've only I only saw her a couple of times. She wasn't a regular, but she came in years ago. That I hadn't been running the workshop very long, and she came in and read this poem um, about listening to these robbers break into their house and rape, rape her mom. Oh my god! And she's describing it in in detail, like like. Jane Austen classic prose, you know what I mean? Like real thick, heavy, dense. I have no, I have no idea what you mean, but I feel like 
I feel uncomfortable just from hearing about it. Yes, I felt uncomfortable yeah. saying it, <laughs> even that. And, and she asked, you know, what can I do to make this poem better? Because I was just staring at it. And <laughs> what can I do to make this better? I don't, I don't know. What can I do to make anything better for you? Please tell me <laughs> yeah. anything. Because you're, you're, you want to focus on the text, but sometimes like the things that people bring you and luckily there weren't many people. There were like three of us because it was a February. The workshop was still new. So we didn't have a lot of regulars yet. And, you know, there, there were just a few of us. And luckily everybody else that was there were also women. So they kind of chimed in and said, you know, and it, it, it became a, we didn't really get much to the poem and I didn't really say a lot. I let them talk because I didn't, you know, and then I just focused on like word choices. I didn't want to focus on imagery or metaphor or, or get into like, oh, well, this image, this highly graphic uh, sound you heard, you know, maybe you could say it this way. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are you going to do? You can't comment on that. Yeah. And like you, can, you can't do that with a straight face. You just simply can't. Right. And, and that like might you have be to be, you have to be like you have to be like a professional level of autistic not to actually just kind of go past it right yeah yeah and that that is an outlier like that those a poem that extreme doesn't come along very often but regulars will regularly bring in stuff about abusive parents or drug use or or you know alcoholism or their parents dying or like one woman wrote a poem as her mom was dying, we didn't hear from her for like three months. She comes back and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I've been gone, you know, and I was, and you know, there's no obligation to go. So, you know, I'm doing the, oh, oh, she, you know, she's polite. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. She's being, she's, she's like, you know, she feels a connection to the group, which I appreciate because I mean, she likes going, but, mm-hmm. and she goes, the poem I have tonight, <laughs> she like, as I'm saying, it's no big deal. She goes, Oh, the poem I had tonight, I wrote while I was watching my mom die. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> oh my god like the emotional fortitude of these people it's uh it's impressive it's a wonderful outlet that they have and even in those moments when i feel overwhelmed i'm like that's probably nothing to how they feel right now <laughs> you know i can't make it about my i'll never make it about myself no jesus christ i mean that that'd be insane yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> we do get I gotta some- say like when I was l- listening to the everyone like telling the poems and stuff I, I, I really enjoyed it like I felt kind of a strong urge to write my own poem and join in <clears throat> but <laughs> I can't write for shit and also considering like the topics that sometimes pop up right I, I would feel like such a fucking fraud sitting there Right, uh, about making a poem about fucking anything you know what i mean no no you shouldn't poetry is not in in this 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 can be difficult for for newer writers because they come in and they'll say the same <laughs> thing they'll be like oh i wrote about how i drink from the, like this one kid this one kid shows up he was 23 or 4 um he was going to he was getting his yeah, um, he was a student. He was getting his MFA or his writing, his uh, graduate, his master's degree in, in creative writing from a Ohio school. And yeah. he he had written this funny poem and it was this, it bounced real well. He, he, had, he had 
you know, put it in meter and stuff. And, and it was just about how he drank from the far side of a glass and it gave him hiccups. And it was just dumb. It was funny. It was hilarious. Like it was far side of a glass. Have you ever heard of that? Like one of the ways to get rid of hiccups is to drink, is to like put your mouth on the far side of the glass and then you pick the glass up and then the water runs like past your chin and down the front of your shirt. I, I can't even, I can't even, Picture. like I can't even envision what that looks like. It's, what do you mean the far side of the glass? Like you mean the, the side, like through the, through the actual glass on the side? So if you're holding the cup in front of you, instead of drinking from the rim closest to you, you drink from the furthest part of the rim on the other side, and then you tip it towards yourself. Okay. And you just get as much water as you can, but then the rest of the water like pours down the front of you. I, I have to see this. Well, it's, 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 an, it's kind of like... An old you mean like you're trying to drink a glass without using your hands? Like you're just like and lift, like neck it? No, no, no. You hold it with your hands, but but you, you know what? I'm. I'm <laughs> I think the best. I, I, I'm just I'm just imagining like holding the glass now, bringing it to your lips, and then just throwing your head back. Yeah. So, oh, you know. oh, okay. I see. I see. He sent me a picture. He's showing me. It looks really fucking moronic. <laughs> I don't think that helps with anything except for making your chin wet. It's 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 dumb. It's an old it's an old wives' tale that is apparently like it's really popular in America at least. I guess. Yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, like uh, a lot of the old like wives' tales, you know, like Sharingrod, uh, they are great. <laughs> I don't think this one is. Uh, I think I think oh. this old wife was kind of dumb, or or she was put playing a prank on someone. <laughs> just you know it's mm-hmm. it's a very popular like thing that it's you know it's supposed to cure hiccups it totally doesn't and it and part of it i think is a prank like it just gets people yeah. to get themselves all wet yeah 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 this this is this this isn't the wife's tale at all i think this is just a prank this is like oh you want to check for cancer if your face is like smaller than your hand or your hand is bigger than your face then you have cancer Oh my god! You should check right now, and then you just smack their hand into their face. That's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, hold. Oh, can you read the lines in my hand? Bump. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, this this guy this guy wrote this poem, and he he had been writing poetry for several years. He was studying it aggressively, and he was a good. He brought this funny poem about how he drank from the far side of a glass, and it gave him hiccups. Just dumb, and. But he peppered it with like a bunch of puns and he had, you know, some funny descriptions in there. And then like, you know, someone finds him and he's like covered in water and whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember how it went exactly. But he came up to me afterwards and he goes, I feel so outclassed. The person before me read a thing about like being in the hospital. And the person after me read about like read about the, you know, their favorite dog passing away. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because I feel like whatever I would write about would be some dumb, inane shit. No, that's that's needed. That that breaks it up. That's good. You know, I mean, sometimes we'll get a whole month of that where just everybody's feeling silly and they bring in all these zany, like weird comedic things. But the months, you know, sometimes you get a perfect storm of just like there's a lot of people in a bad mood and they're all bringing this real heavy stuff. And by the time you get to the last like third of the workshop, people aren't commenting they're depressed like you can feel them depressed and it, you know and oh it it really does take an emotional toll and I, I told him the same i was like 
that's good. I was like, you broke up two poems that needed to be broken up. You know, you're, <laughs> you know, yeah. a sandwich isn't just four pieces of bread that you hold together and eat. There's a reason why there's stuff in the middle. And yeah, that's true. Sometimes you need comedic relief. Even if it's not comedic, you just need relief sometimes. Yeah. Or, or just like a change of pace, you know, because yeah. when you have like three just depressions. Like a, like a poem about why flowers are pretty instead of a violent rape. Yes. <laughs> right. And <laughs> it's like take one or the other, right? And and there's an element of therapy to writing. You know, people like cre- any cre- any creative hobby is uh, Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of like having a diary, right? But it's a fancy diary that goes for your feelings instead of what you're thinking and you tell it to other people. Exactly. And when when you want to share work and you, you know a lot of times people don't usually bring the heavier stuff until they've been to the workshop several times when they finally feel safe like they can open up you know people don't usually come sailing in with their most aggressive work because they're afraid of being judged and then i've tried to make sure that that the atmosphere that I've cultivated is judge-free and people aren't critical. Like if, cause you know, sometimes someone will get like, well, I think what you should do, or this is just a bad line. And it's like, well, you can give helpful feedback or say something could be better without being an asshole about it. You know, like <laughs> dispelling when people say, Oh, I just tell the truth and people don't like hearing the truth. It's like, well, no delivery counts. <laughs> that matters. Um, but once they realize that the atmosphere is, is forgiving, they'll start opening up and they get more and more vulnerable. And that therapy aspect, you can't divorce a, a good poetry workshop, even if you're trying to, even if your critique is 100% aimed at improving the text, you're, 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 you know, you're trying to maximize emotion through the text, but even if you separate the emotion and treat it like a chemical formula, you, you cannot separate that element of therapy that goes with processing your emotions through words. Yeah. And it, it, I think, you know, people feel a strong sense of relief and release. I think when they hand it off to a group of people and there's acceptance, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like validation for who you are. Yeah. Well, and and it's in, and sometimes you just need other people's validation validation or knowing that they too went through through it like sometimes i once one time we had this guy bring in a poem about a divorce and he was in his 40s you know and and he had been married for about 20 years because he said he got married real early and uh i can't remember it was like we're just under 20 it was like 18 or 19 years he was married and and he brought in this poem about a divorce and he started crying in the middle of it. And then he apologized profusely. And I was like, okay, before anybody comments, don't apologize. Like, this is an emotional thing. And mm. you've done something great by letting yourself be that vulnerable to strangers. Like, he didn't know any of us. It was his first time. And everybody else started, you know, saying like, oh, my, my, my brother got divorced. I was divorced. So like, you know, that conversation happened. And at the end of it, he just started tearing up again. And then like, he completely broke all the tension. He's like, man, it really feels like an AA meeting in here. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, nice. uh, you know, 
Yeah, it kind of is. And I, and I thought I think about that comment sometimes because sometimes it can get a little bit like that. Yeah. You know. So I, I don't don't feel self-conscious. Like I'm not saying, hey, you should go to our workshop and write poetry for it. But if that's the only thing stopping you, or even from attending workshops in your area, don't don't let that I don't think there are any in my area. That's fine too. I wouldn't like to do poetry in Norwegian. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have the emotional content in your vocabulary to do it. <laughs> we don't really. We have a few really good poems. Uh, um, so actually, maybe we do. I mean, we use simpler language than you guys do. But we have a few really good poems. Especially during the war. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite poem of all is uh, Till Ungdomen. Um it's a poem uh, by, I don't know, some guy. Uh, and it's also a really good song, basically. It's uh, called, like, Till Ungdomen translates as uh, To the Youth. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a message about, uh, like, it, it's a mes- me- message about uh, empathizing with people and having compassion and using that um, as a shield slash weapon to prevent further atrocities such as the ones we saw during the war yeah it's a it's a really really beautiful poem send it send it it's, to me later uh, i'd like to read it if you don't mind oh yeah i yeah i, I definitely will it's uh oh, it, it's heavy but it's so beautiful i love it it's also a really good song by um habo kokevik uh where she sings she basically sings the poem uh oh. and it's uh it's beautiful Oh, that's yeah. nice. That's nice. I, I, I like looking when I read a, a new poet, I like finding their stuff online. And it's almost always better to hear the poet read. Um, almost always, because sometimes I'm, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, like not everyone is an orator, you know. I, I heard this. There's this poet named Victoria Chang, and she oh, I love her writing. I follow her on Twitter. Um, and, and she has this wonderful collection called The Boss. And she really likes repetition, alliteration, and things that flow. And, and she likes saying the same word dozens of times in the same poem. And she'll use that word. And by the end, she's used it in like 10 to 15 different definitions of the word. And she's, she really, like, she, a lot of times she writes without punctuation. And I'll never forget. I... On my end right now. What's that? Well, anyway, she uh, she she uses a lot of, you know, there's she, her 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 poetry has a lot of flow, a lot of movement, and I heard her yeah. live one time. I, get, I heard her give a live reading, and she performed it great. Like she she really the she captured the flow, she captured the movement, and. It, it all was, it was smooth. It was like silk when she was reading it. And that's what made me buy her collection. And then I'll never forget, I was telling somebody about this and I was like, you know, this is a great example of, of how language can be musical. And this person's like, oh, I looked her up on YouTube and she doesn't sound anything like that. I was like, no, that can't be. And I looked her up on YouTube. I was like, ah, damn it. Because she, it felt to me like she was butchering her own writing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's sad. But, yeah, but you know like it, it's a it's a being like on the stage right 
performing something is a completely different talent than writing. Yeah, yeah. But I had seen her perform it before. That was the thing. And like these YouTube videos were recordings of her performing her work. And so (laughs) I was a little, I was a little let down. I was like, oh, this isn't what I saw live. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's always better live. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um, hers really because of the way she constructed it and because of her attention to sound it was more important that her live performances are better you know I think whereas another poet who is reading poetry that uses different poetic devices to to move their message the the, um, the yeah because if she's doing it in a kind of a if she's doing it in like a sing-songy way right then uh being able to perform it in a sing-songy way is also kind of important. It's not just like reading it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the poem itself kind of demands a performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, we do take a moment to do an ad? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, all right. Are you loving COVID? Are you upset at the high rate of vaccinations? Do you want to relive 2020, perhaps the greatest year in modern human history? Then you will love the innovative Plague Pal by Mattel. Mattel. The Plague Pal is a fun, family-friendly device that allows you to relive the pandemic's glory days. The Plague Pal is a home robot that tells you to stay put. Buy it now and you'll receive their patented Plague Locks, which are smart locks for your front and back door, so you are physically unable to leave the house without climbing through a window. If you would like to role play as a conspiracy loving anti-mask nut, set your plague pal to its warning setting and your plague pal will yell at you if it senses you aren't wearing a mask. Or if you miss the sterile, impersonal corporate camaraderie that was advertisements in 2020, set your plague pal to the we're in this together setting to hear phrases like in these trying times and the future is uncertain, but our humanity is not peppered. Oh, that's that's that. <laughs> plague pal. Oh, we're not. Flake Val. I can't even listen to the whole ad. I'm so annoyed. (laughs) Flake Val. Where nostalgia meets the coronavirus. Battery. Battery smart locks and plague predictors specific wall charger not included. All plague pals sell your home facial recognition and recorded conversations with third parties unless you file a restraining order against Mattel. We are not responsible for any false alarm that plague pals sends to your police or fire departments. If you are developing aggressive tumors all over your body, please contact your doctor immediately as the plague pal emits small amounts of radiation. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Oh, why this product why would we advertise for it you know greedy little fucks and they gave us a plague pal dude same reason we advertise every other product they're the ones sponsoring us with the green man Mm -hmm. and they're giving us all of the green (laughs) all the green juicy tumors (laughs) Um, pepsi if you're listening to this i will sponsor your drink even though it tastes like syrup that i wouldn't feed to a hamster and coca-cola so if you're hearing this syrup to a hamster, even if it's good syrup, I mean, that was yeah. I don't know. <laughs> an ant? You're not well, supposed to do that. You know you're not to do that. What's what that? Are you Never mind. What, what did you say? <laughs> I'm breaking this down to an unreasonable level. It's fine. Yeah, you are. You don't. You oh don't. You don't want to relive 2020. Is what a horrible one? product, though. <laughs> what a horrible product! I, I, like th- that fucking fake corporate camaraderie pissed me off to no end. 
<laughs> it was so annoying. I, I can't stand disingenuous fucking nonsense. <laughs> mm. well, oh my god. Oh, just a sentence in this trying times, right? It's like, fuck right off. <laughs> take your fuck and take it off. <laughs> Grab your fuck, take it, put away, follow it, and get the fuck away. Fuck off. You know, it's you know, it's crazy though. There are going to be people that miss 2020. Like, I think that this product might actually have a market among the craziest. <laughs> Yeah, but that's why it's leaking radiation to get rid of them. Uh, that's a little harsh. Uh, I mean, if you're a conspiracy theory theorist and you buy this thing, you're like not that clever because <laughs> it's like it's clearly a conspiracy to get rid of you. <laughs> to be fair, I, I'm not I'm not sold that a lot of conspiracy theorists are all that clever. <laughs> no, they 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 don't. I don't think they score high on like cleverosity tests right. well and i always I love they're very cleverous I, I love talking to a conspiracy theorist where they try to distance themselves from other conspiracy theorists you know so they'll be like oh you know we're not like the flat earthers or like could you believe me but i have real evidence for this and they like send you a bunch of youtube videos and it's like yeah. this dude has like three bowls of weak old noodles like sitting on top of his bed in the cinder block basement that he lives in. I'm not watching this. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. If anyone if, any, if anyone records anything from a anyone who records anything from a basement or a bunker is like uh it it, it really damages your credibility. Unless like, it's really cool. I, I know I know that you're you're not supposed to like when like pathos and uh, ethos and all that stuff you're not you're not supposed to pay too much attention to that like uh, you know feelings and and the person you're just supposed to think about the logic behind the words you know the logos yeah but you know sometimes it's just like uh, nah nah right nah, I, I like the, the my, my principles say that i should give this guy a fair chance but he is literally like sitting on cinder blocks with like tinfoil on his head i'm, I'm not gonna do this you you can yeah don't judge a book by your cover but i could imagine some book covers that would betray its contents if if the if the cover is like made of human skin and feces it's like uh, maybe judge it a little bit (laughs) some judgments okay sometimes (laughs) yeah that's yeah new moot motto some judgment is okay sometimes That's the thing, right? That's the thing. Because <laughs> it's there's nothing wrong with judging something, something all the time, you know? Yeah. Like the whole judge a book by its cover is more about like prejudgment. It's like, no, no, we're past prejudgment. I, I, I witnessed key parts of the content and I have made a judgment. <laughs> I am sure there could be more redeeming that this book is made of human skin is just not, yeah. It doesn't bode well. You know, at Hogwarts, they would just use that as a textbook. There's the Monster Book of Monsters. It was literally like an alive. Oh, yeah. The, the Hogwarts is a shithole of a school, man. Like, they have the ridiculous <laughs> fucking death rate among their students. You shouldn't have a death rate among your students in a school. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that, that, that actually is a little insensitive of me to say, considering you're, like, you know, from the year. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. I'll just make fun of Norway later. 
Sorry. Oh, oh, oh! How dare you? <laughs> yeah, well, your country. Uh, I was joking though. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't, ins- I, I wasn't feeling bad about being insensitive. I make a school shooting joke, and I stuck by it. Oh well, you know what? It's okay for me to make school shooting jokes, but you, I don't know. I know. It is, it is a little bit racist when I do it. Okay, you know what? I take back my take back. I am sorry about that joke, <laughs> but only because we're kind of in public. <laughs> <laughs> quotations <laughs> around the word public <laughs> yeah it's gonna be public enough we, we make it public yeah. <laughs> we are a pair of attention horse that's true i mean that i mm. it's it's hard to get into per, a performance thing a, yeah. a performance related anything and then try to turn around and say oh you know what but i don't want anybody to see me it's like hey of course you do if you're if you're if you're putting this out there for people to listen or see or or engage with there's <laughs> some part of you is like you know <laughs> so poetry poetry wise what what do you what are the poetry stereotypes in norway because in america the the poetry stereotypes are it's for like emo teenagers who as you said are trying to sort out their lives mm. or older people who love robert frost and strict rhyme yeah so i think some of our stereotypes are just like the international stereotypes like the the two you listed right now i think those are pretty international um like you'll you'll find them a lot um other than that i think another like stereotype is war poetry but it's not something people make now it's just it's like a genre of poetry that's most popular one in the country Mm. Uh, poetry from world war ii the war uh and um that's interesting your your society seems and and i'm very ignorant ignorant about norwegian culture i'm, I'm getting, I, I don't think course. you are i don't think you are i think you know a lot more than you gave yourself credit for i that that aside i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna it's dunk- funny you can you can really you can really like you can really stomp down Jeremy by giving him a compliment. He does not know how to handle it. <laughs> I salvage it by doing this, though. This helps, right? Yeah, well... Oh, I thought you were going to say <laughs> something. Not that much. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Tell, me, tell, me, tell, me, tell me the thing. Tell me the thing. I was going to say, your, your society seems to be really... Like, your modern, modern Norway seems to be really intertwined with World War II. Because I feel like pre-World War II Norway because of the financial success that came with the oil discovery and because it was in close mm. enough proximity to world war ii i feel like that those oh, two are intertwined. it wasn't just it wasn't just close proximity to world war ii as a di- direct result of world war ii oh i didn't know that i thought it was like the 50s yeah but it's a direct uh, result of the war like if the war hadn't happened we would never have found oil because uh the thing is like after the war uh, we had to rebuild, and of course we were a, a poor ass, you know, shit, frozen shithole. You know, it's just a frozen wasteland. It's not, no, it was not a wealthy country. Mm. Uh, like my grandparents didn't have plumbing or anything like that when they were growing up. There's, there's no such thing. They, uh, they had like a literally a guy driving a horse and carriage, uh, shoveling shit from outhouses and taking them to fields. And, and they, they were well off. They were very well off. Like my grand, grandparents' house was yeah. the like original 
sheriff's office and the original post office in my town. You know, like back in the old days, they were like a like they were the central hub of people there. This, this, you know, these they have like, like one of the tear stories of like 1850s America. Oh yeah, yeah. That, basically, that's what it was. You know, but more frozen. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, like uh, in the aftermath of the war, the Americans uh, uh, gave us uh, uh, like martial help to uh, because we were an ally. We fought against the Nazis because they occupied us and you know did pretty horrible shit. Yeah. Uh, and we were a very active uh, resistance. Like the first defeat the Nazis ever faced was uh in uh in norway um and uh yeah a couple of like uh, people f- like from the resistance in norway too um took out project heavy water which was the nazis uh nazis attempt at making the nuclear bomb uh, they burned down the lab and killed the scientists jesus killed hitler too almost killed hitler you told there me about ships. that there were two boats yeah there was two ships and they sunk one of the ships. The other one had Hitler on it. They had no idea, of course. Yeah. But if they had sunk the 50-50 choice for them, right? So they just sunk one of them. Had they sunk the other one, you know, that would have killed Hitler. Do you imagine if Hitler was just like walking? Like I just I, I picture Hitler not with a smartphone, but I, I kind of a smartphone, like a clipboard or something. He's, he's, he's staring at something and he accidentally walks onto the wrong ship. And his officers are too scared of like their psycho Fuhrer to like say anything. They're like, "Oh, it's the other boat, Hitler," you know. And he he just like walks yeah. out, and the other boat blows up. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh yeah, those those soldiers would have uh, they would have had red faces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why didn't you say anything? I'm scared. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyways, so we after the in the aftermath, uh, we received uh, martial help from the Americans. You guys, thank you. Uh, and I did that. Actually. We didn't exactly know what to do with uh, the money, so we had like uh, like little t- town hall meetings and shit, or like around um, our capital. Uh, we and uh, some like bright soul said, you know, we our country is ninety percent ocean. Shouldn't we like check for oil? Oil is a big thing now. Uh, we have a lot of money. We can actually do it now, and. No one thought they would find oil in the ocean. You know, it was such a ridiculous notion. Oil in the ocean? What a notion. Um, since like we're finding oil in a poetry episode. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a funny anecdote from that time because uh, there was one of the vocal, I don't remember his name, but it should be easy enough to find out. One of the vocal opponents of this idea, he had said that if they, like, he doesn't, he didn't believe they would find a single fucking drop of oil in the North Sea, the Norwegian Sea, or any of the seas Norway owns, right? Yeah. Uh, and he said that he would personally drink every fucking drop they found. Of course, he didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, he deserves to be burned for all eternity. Like, not physically burned, but, you know, burn, joke. Yeah, yeah. Shamed a little bit. In a friendly manner. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, yeah. So like the war, it's it has a huge effect on our society. Like uh, also, it, it's the last major like real conflict Norway was in. Uh, like we. Oh shit! You know that's such a simple observation, but I never thought about that. Like we've been 
every decade is defined by some war, if not multiple, going all the way back to World War II. Whereas you guys are like, oh, we're done. <laughs> this is, that was enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> uh, we it it shook us. Let's just say that it uh, it it completely devastated us and uh, brought us to our knees, and we don't want that again. I think that's partly why Norway's uh, invest so much in weapons because we do have we we are like known as one countries, but we do have a few dirty little secrets. We're one of the largest producers of like short range missiles, and uh, like the the modern hand grenade and the landmine was both invented in Norway. Yeah. Um, and we are one of the larger producers of those two, even still now. It's like a huge part of our income. And it makes us, uh, like our location makes us a very strategic uh, country. We are a coastline in the middle of like the Western East. Like we are, if you look at the top of the globe, uh, we are right between Russia and the US. And since we're an ally of the US, we 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 have various like things up there that we use as a, we are, we are essentially a missile shield. We would disrupt any missiles from the U S not from the rush from Russia heading to the U S. So the Russians, they do like yearly uh, drills where they fly unarmed uh, fighter jets and pretend to bomb the villages we have up in the North <laughs> so that they are prepared to do it. If they need to attack the U S because they have to take those out first. Otherwise the U S is uh, like immune to missiles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so we produce, we produce a lot of weapons and stuff like that so that our allies have like, uh, I'm I'm guessing this is why, like it's just good money too, but I'm guessing it's also partly because it makes us more strategic. It makes it, it like NATO is mostly to protect Norway from fucking Russia. Like Norway is a founding member of NATO. And like the current head of NATO is our old prime minister. Okay. Like a lot of countries uh, get something out of NATO, but like <laughs> it's it's uh, it's called what it's called for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It is, it is, it is. Uh, so that the Russians don't mess with us. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you guys share a border. <laughs> we do, we do, and uh, the Russians don't like us that much. They. Uh, They've been wanting to take Norway for like so many decades now. Mostly, they want our seas too because our oceans are very, very wealthy. Well, you have those. They make us you have the oil. You have the warm waters. You have those ports that are like strategic. We have the, the fish. Way. Fish is a huge resource. Natural gas is massive resource. Like you have no idea the amount of money Norway makes on fish. Like you've seen the amount of money we make on oil. Fish yeah. is right fucking behind there, man. It is not that far away. Interesting. Yeah, like sashimi in Japan. Uh, like, it, it was always a thing, but it was not a big thing. Uh, like, like uh, uh, the salmon roll sashimi, like uh, sashimi is meant with Norwegian salmon in Japan. Because in the eighties, we sent some representatives over there uh, and did a whole branding thing to to get them to buy salmon from us. And now it's like. It's not proper sashimi unless it's been made with Norwegian salmon. That's like the thing in Japan. You know, I was looking up Norwegian poetry a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. I, it's I found a lot of poets who 
drew inspiration from war poetry. I I, I want I'm gonna I'm, I'm kind of bringing us back a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> as as interested as I am in all that, I want to because I want there are a few questions I have for you. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of the poets, even if they had inspiration from like A.E. Houseman. A.E. Houseman wrote this this ultra famous World War One poem to an athlete dying young because um, World War One probably had a bigger influence on poetry than World War Two did, if you discount the atomic bomb because the beat poets of like the four, the late forties and fifties really. And like, you know, that, that it was a trend that continued all the way through the cold war, you know, up yeah. past Reagan through Reagan, but the, you know, there was, they wrote about the atomic bomb, but world war one really shook the creative and the art world. Like that's when Victoria Victorian era excess in poetry and frivolity or romanticism or the other the other themes that came before it all shifted wildly during world war one and so so to an athlete dying young a houseman wrote this poem about how it's better to just die in the prime of your life than to slowly curl up you know to 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 watch your reputation get tarnished and yeah. and the, the idea of it, like the reason he wrote it during that time period was because he was watching the world as far as he knew it fall apart. The, you know, World War I was such a crazy, m- mentally jarring thing. These soldiers were living for months and months at, at the end and like the Somme, you know, just in these oh, trenches. Yeah. And like, and, World and, War I was probably the worst war we've ever had. Yes. So, so all poetry shifted to negative, depressing, like the world is ending and like the glory is behind us. So even though A. E. Houseman is writing about an athlete, it was reflected through the devastation that the world was, was facing. And um, I did find a lot of that, that there was a lot of references to like Eldred London and uh, I can't pronounce some of these names, Rolf Jacobson, um, Olav Hog, Hag, H A U G E, Hag, So a it, lot it literally means pile or like yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, <laughs> but but they they are celebrated for being nature poets, but they were inspired by the early twentieth century poetry that that depressing sort of bleak outlook. And oh they yeah, were, they a were a lot of a lot of old Norwegian poetry is like uh, naturalisme natural realism like really grim and gritty dark shit yes and it seemed when i was looking at these guys that the con- the kind of consensus was that by by looking at nature they were trying to escape reality they're like okay well those people are doing people stuff over there but look at all these mountains we have aren't they pretty <laughs> yeah never mind never mind the atrocities happening over there this this bird sings beautifully let's let's write about let's write about the bird children it's like intense escapism. And I was wondering if that's like, I wanted to ask you, is that a thing that is known or is that just an interpretation I found by only doing a couple hours of internet research? <laughs> I, I got to say, I'm, I'm not that informed on this particular area. So I, I, I couldn't say. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I know a little bit about this stuff because it's what you learn in like school, right? In Norwegian, but uh I, I I can't say too much more about it because I, I got no clue. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Do, do you have any poems memorized? Oh, God, no. Uh, except for like, uh, you know, <laughs> Roses are Red. <laughs> I got that one. Okay. Also, Violets, not Blue. They're Violet. They are. Right. Yeah. The, the name is like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty big clue. I, I have seen a couple of setups before where someone said roses are red, violets aren't blue. So they keep the rhyme scheme, they keep the syllable count. Oh, that's nice. That's clever. Yeah. But they 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 put they spin it on its head. The problem is you see it once and you're like, that's awesome. Then you see it two or three times, and you're like, oh well, that's been done before. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, man. You know, I don't really have anything more to say about poetry right now. But I would like to share uh, an anecdote from today that I think is a little bit funny. Please. Uh, so yesterday I was, uh, I was at a party with some friends. It's like the small party, you know, Corona friendly. Uh, still a party though. Um, and we were like sitting around, we were drinking, uh, we were smoking, we were having a good time. Um, although I am a lightweight when it comes to all sorts of intoxicants. So like six or seven beers I had and I was just completely fucking crushed. Uh, I dragged my fucking uh, carcass back home. I don't remember how I got home, but I did. And then this morning I got a phone call and I was like, that was like the way I responded basically. Right. (laughs) And it was my boss at um, <laughs> the the humanist organization I work for, yeah, um, uh, and she was like, "Are you on your way?" And I was like, uh, "On my way to what?" And she was like, "You're supposed to head like you're supposed to be one of the confirmation leaders in the ceremony today." <laughs> and I just had like a mini panic attack, and I was like, "I'll be there. I'll be there soon." And she was like, "Wear nice clothes," and I was like, "I'll try." And so I just like basically pushed my fucking cadaver out of bed. <laughs> and like I was so destroyed and hungover and awful. I just dragged my rotting carcass, my fucking corpse out of bed. I put some clothes on. I, I don't have a lot of nice clothes. Like I have, they, they are not here for sure, you know, and I don't think they fit anymore because, you know, Jesus Christ, snacks are delicious. Um, <laughs> and so I just have this shirt that my ex Kimia uh, had me buy because uh, she dressed me up like a Persian essentially. So I, I got some really fancy floral shirts and gold chains and shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I wore some of those with my fucking like they're black pants, but they got like cargo shorts pockets on the side, and they're yeah they're not super classy. Um, so I was wearing this when everyone was wearing suits and boo knobs, you know, like the Norwegian national costume and stuff. Uh, but essentially like I, I, I didn't have time for breakfast, obviously I'm late. So I just had like some crisp bread, shoved it in my face, grabbed a fistful of lettuce. Cause that was just available. I've ran out hungover, awful and just shoving lettuce into my face, like a madman in the street. Uh, I managed to get there. Uh, in like not in time because you know if I was there in time she wouldn't have called me um, <laughs> but I managed to get there um, before the stuff I was supposed to do happened <laughs> and 
Oh, I was so hungover. I was so ready to die. Someone please put me out of my misery. And I was just, I hadn't eaten anything. Just shoved lettuce into my face. My stomach was empty. And my head felt full of just garbage. Uh, and like, just to do something, you know, just to have, have like ingest something and keep myself going. I just kept drinking a fucking cup of coffee every fucking uh, 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, I don't need to tell you, but like, uh, if you're hungover and your stomach's empty and you keep chugging coffee, it has a laxative effect. Uh, and so I just had to sneak off to go to the bathroom every now and then, but I also had to hold it because I'm fucking holding a ceremony. Right. <laughs> and I, it's just, I was just falling apart. I was just, Oh, it was the worst. It was the worst, but I had to keep, I had to stay like an adult. I had to be professional because the kids are looking up to me and all of that right now, you know, I, they, you know, they're looking to me for guidance and information that I don't have and not able to give, but I got to fake it till I make it. And I managed to do that eventually. And I was just feeling so sick and disgusting disgusting and rotten at the end of the day that i had to go to the store i, I just bought a bunch of crisp bread uh because i needed fiber obviously uh you know because uh, i was gonna have a date with the bathroom um and then i just like i also needed something fresh so i just bought all of the grapes and strawberries and just fruits i could physically carry uh and oh my god that's the best strawberry i've had in my life i think oh yeah <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, I, I'm doing this tomorrow as well, like heading like a, one of the ceremonies. So uh, <laughs> this time I'm going to go to bed early and sober. What you should do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to do this. Write yep. a poem about the strawberry. Okay. Like, the poem, poem called Strawberry. That is a poetic experience. I mean, you used a lot of very like strong sensory details to describe that experience. And by the end, I pictured kind of like a shambling, like bloated corpse, you know, like, (laughs) thank you. But with more face (laughs) on it, like just kind of like, like bloated and trying to find, you know, just your body's rotting and falling apart and welling from the inside. And (laughs) it's not not inaccurate. It's actually pretty accurate. (laughs) Well, you described it in a way that made me picture it. So, you know, that's, that's props to you. So then I see like Mr. Clean commercial style, like this strawberry perched on top of a whole mountain of produce and it's glowing, you know, and you're walking up to it. Oh God. Yeah. You should should write a poem about it and see what comes out of it because that experience is a visceral one. And I think you could definitely come up with the imagery to back it up. And, And what the contrast would be, the gross feeling, the, more, the, the, the morning after feeling contrasted against the deliciousness of and the, the, the saviors, uh, the strawberry savior of yours. You know, I'm super impressed with you right now because this was supposed to be some off-topic nonsense thing just I wanted to share with you and I thought it would be funny for the podcast. <laughs> it is. But you managed, you managed to like segue it into poetry. <laughs> and i am i'm just uh, like i, I want to applaud but that'll sound really obnoxious on like a uh, recording i think so instead i'm just gonna 
I'm going to take you up on it. I'm going to write a poem about this. Yes. And if you will have me, I'm going to, I'm going to read it in your, in your club. Do it. Yes. Yes. I, I love this idea so much. Oh, excellent. And if you want, we can even edit a golf clap into this episode because you may not know this, but we're streaming it to a live studio audience. So there's that cheer style. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who does the editing. I'm not going to edit a fucking golf clap. I'm just going <laughs> to, here, here you go. I hope that doesn't sound terrible. Hey. Well, the- awesome. Okay, I just lost it. Uh, <laughs> now, now we're back at the golf. Away from the microphone. But it's like 11 p.m., two hours after closing, and everybody's trashed. <laughs> yeah, and none of them belong to the club or were invited. <laughs> they were let in the back door. They're squatters. <laughs> they weren't let in. They climbed the fence. A couple of clever ones dug under. Because you can't do that, too. You don't have to climb a fence. Remember, kids. I, I hit the, the one the one thing I remember being in grad school and the first thing our professor said to us, the very yeah. first thing, like I drove out to Philadelphia. I'm, I'm hundreds of miles from home because I, I did a low residency, which meant I was out in Philadelphia for like four to five weeks out of the year. And then the rest of the time I, I did the stuff online. So like when we were in person, we saw seminars, we practiced like performance performance style stuff uh things that you can't do online and then online everything else was like <laughs> very intense reading and and, re- and a lot of writing but um i remember the first thing that our instructor ever said to us was why the hell are you here he was like why aren't you with the fiction group why aren't you doing a real degree like you know real in quotations he's like you're not here because you want to. You're here because you have no choice. This is how your brain works. And I'm sorry for that, but this is your, this is your life now. <laughs> and it, was, it was the most like honest, not, it wasn't, it wasn't inspiring per se, but it was honest. And it, it, it really resonated with me. I was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't really like pick this. It just kind of picked me. And I realized, I, I think I view most things as, as poetic because Poetry is just emotion that's channeled through shared experiences. And I think if anybody else has ever woken up hungover, they can identify with your situation because yeah. a lot of most people have been hungover at some point in their life. And so they'll be able to identify with that as long as you describe it well in a way that they can engage with. And the funnier your poem is, be awesome. I'm pretty excited to write this thing now, but I have no idea how to do it. Like how, how the hell do you write poetry? Poetic craft techniques. So you have a toolbox and your toolbox are all the techniques, rhyme, meter, image, metaphor, you know, uh, 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 line breaks, white space, you know, stanzas exist in in line breaks. The reason that a poet poetry isn't just sentences is because those line breaks are opportunity to build suspense. The last word of your line your reader is going to have a split second to think before their eyes move to the next line. If you put a stanza break there and you have white space, you have like a line of just white, then they'll think about it longer. So those are all opportunities to, to build suspense. And so everything, those things that you learn in school 
those are just tools in a toolbox. You don't need a metaphor. You don't need rhyme. They're just things that can supplement it and make it more poetic. I don't if think you you'll start, have any trouble because you start, you're with images. What did you say? I don't think you'll have as much trouble as you think. You, you, you might be self-conscious because you haven't done it before, but you're really good with images. You're really good at putting ideas into people's heads. Hey, that's really sweet. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. It's, it's an honest, it, like, it's an honest compliment. Like that's, that's one of the reasons I want to do this podcast with you is because you have that ability to plant ideas in people's heads and, and make them visualize it. And that's really admirable to have in a co-host because, you know, you, we spend so many hours talking about fucking nothing. Like I, like I love our <laughs> podcast, but like, yeah, there were so many people who do it the same way as us. There were a lot of other podcasts like us and that's what I wanted out of somebody else, like out of a co-host. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, uh, you know. Yeah, sincerely and severely. Thank you. I am also uncomfortable, not just with compliments, but people thanking me for compliments. So you know. Okay, well, fuck you. Yeah, th- yeah. That, that's easier. I, yeah, there, there we go. Yeah. yeah, fuck you too. Fuck you, piece of <laughs> shit. I hate you. I hate you so much. I can't believe you would compliment me like so so sweetly and genuinely you piece of fucking human refuse oh i'm in, I'm, I'm in such yeah. a warmer place right now i just you reeking sack of fucking dung oh you, vacation you waste of fucking human skin it's, it's 45 degrees cloudy in cleveland but i can feel the sunshine <laughs> <laughs> wonderful <laughs> see he gets me this is this is what it's about <laughs> yeah Mwah. Okay, but I do have a question though. Yeah, if you write a po like poem, and it like I know it doesn't have to rhyme, but if you make it rhyme sometimes, do you have to make it rhyme all the time, or can you just like have one sentence rhyme and then that's it? Yeah, so it really depends. So there's this there's this idea about audience trust, and if the audience senses if the majority of your audience knows what you're doing, like if you can, you, you need to telegraph to your audience what you're attempting to do. So if you have like 10 stanzas and two of them rhyme, that's fine. I, I think that's probably fine depending on how it sounds. Like it, some, some of it's based on feel, but if you have eight stanzas that have the same rhyme scheme, but the other two don't, that's sloppy now. Because now you've set an expectation with 80% of your poem and the other two, it just feels like you got lazy and didn't finish. So. But I, I gotta say though, like, like the, if, if that, what if, okay, this is not lag. This is my brain. Um, what, <laughs> what if, what if you're fucking with people's expectation for it not to rhyme? when you do it the other way around, like when, when you, when only two rhyme and the rest don't, aren't you just like, yeah, you didn't expect rhyme, but <laughs> it puts them in there anyway. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's, and that's, that's where audience trust comes in because as long as they, the clever ones get what you're doing or your odd target audience. Like if your target audience are avid poetry readers and you write like real obtuse stuff, that's a puzzle, like the puzzle poetry or, or, you know, wordplay type, wordplay heavy stuff, technical, highly mm-hmm. technical poetry that's written for poets and they will probably pick up on that. 
Um, but even if, even if it's not, like even if you're like fucking with the audience, you can have, if you have your whole poem not rhyme, I've seen really good poems where the entire thing doesn't rhyme, but the last stanza does and it buttons it real well. Suddenly that rhyme is extra important because that you hit a down note when you finish and, and it, 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 you know, it, it's like landing a plane gently. It's like, you know, you can see, you can feel the pilot. Mm, yeah. Like, uh, like, like during a little flourish at the end of the thing. Exactly. Or, you, you, I've seen poets rhyme for the first three stanzas and then the rest of their poem just fucking falls apart and they're, uh, that's deliberate. So it, my, my answer is it depends on how much trust you build in the audience that they know you're doing it on purpose. If it feels sloppy and, and you know, mileage may vary. Some people may th- say, oh, this is a sloppy unfinished poem and someone else is like, no, 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 I get what they're doing. I, I see it, I get it. And there's, there, you're always gonna have that, that, that gray area. So, but I think it's very possible. These are tools, they're tools in your toolbox. So they're not meant to be universal. They're not meant to be used the same way every time. They're meant to surprise readers. And I think if you have a section that rhymes, like you have like say four stanzas that rhyme, three stanzas that don't and four more, or four stanzas that don't rhyme, three that do, four that don't, that middle section, now your readers are gonna be like, oh wait, there's something going on with that, though, that middle section and they'll, that is going to entice them to go back and reread. So yes, I think you totally can have, you can break the rules on purpose, but the audience has to feel like they're in on the joke. Otherwise you're going to get alienated from your own readers. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you're just doing it like to, to take the mick out of people and you're not doing anything like yeah, you're like you're not doing it for the readers. You're just doing it for yourself to be a douche to people, and you're kind of an asshole. Yeah, and if and if you laugh and go, <laughs> no one got it. Like, is that like, a- yeah? Well, you know, if no one got it, how the fuck do you know it's smart? How do you know it's not just <laughs> inane shit in your head? Right. Like, how good is the writing if you're the only one that gets it? Yeah. Like, and- if you're the if you're the only one laughing at your own joke, it wasn't a good joke. Right. And. So sometimes the onus is on the reader. Like sometimes you get read people who don't read a lot of poetry and they're just like, well, it's okay. I don't know what I'm reading. And that's, that's fine. But you know, if you get someone that's, that's rattled widely and they still don't get it, that might be a signal of a problem. And that's, that's kind of something you run into in the workshop sometimes is people get really defensive. They'll be like, well, I meant this. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But you have, you know, I'll remind them, I'll be like, you have 19 other people saying they did not get that at all. And they're like, well, that's what it means. It's like, okay, but if you want your audience to get you there, you have to meet them halfway. That's the whole point of workshopping <laughs> is to throw yeah. out your, your poem and see how the audience takes it. And if they get what you're doing, you know, if half get what you're doing and you like wink and nod to that half, that could be fine. But if nobody gets what you're doing, then it's more well, like where the, where, the, where the hell are you writing the poem you know it's like if only you get what you're doing it's like okay but you already do that before you grab a pen right yeah, yeah if, if you're the only one supposed to getting this then it's like well you know mission accomplished before you even started you yeah get the hell out of the shop though if you have 19 people going oh yeah this is clearly a poem about a about an old couple's anniversary and they're like uh no this is me watching my dog die at the vet well then you, you need to convey to your audience enough 
that they understand what you're doing because yeah i also i also i also wonder what the hell was happening to your dog (laughs) (laughs) what the hell was your dog going through you know now that you say that now now i kind of want to write a poem that's meant to be about putting a dog down that could be misconstrued as an anniversary i think you should i think you should write a poem that's meant to be about a dog getting put down but make it like almost impossible not to read it as an old couple's anniversary mm. all right uh, it's my like make all the 19 people go for that one make it really fucking obscure and stupid okay all right <laughs> all right so you have your homework assignment i have mine <laughs> i will totally <laughs> i didn't hear what you said there because of the lag but hey what i said i said you have your homework assignment i have mine this zeal is- this is good stuff. Um, yeah, this is good stuff. We have a mission. I think this is a good place to round things off. Uh, do you have anything more you want to say? No, no, no. And thank you for going to the workshop. And, you know, I think poetry is a thing that is culturally underappreciated. Like in, in China, there, there's a lot of respect toward tradition and and part of that goes with poetry like modern day poets or modern day Chinese like still gift poetry books for like birthdays and like graduation presents and stuff and yeah you know it's it's I think when people discover poetry it's like this hidden secret like oh I didn't know it could serve these other purposes I thought it was just about being angsty and it's always a pleasure <laughs> to see somebody like yeah move past those stereotypes to be like no there's a there's significant emotional gravitas here that i can latch on to and incorporate and i it, yeah. and, and i think poetry is easy to read like you can just read a poem in in two minutes like you can just log on to the internet i get on your phone and, and look up a poem look up a poet you know like oh the only poem i know is robert or poet i know is robert frost just look up a couple of his poems and learn some other poets or whatever i don't know but yeah i i I appreciated doing this episode is what I'm getting at. <laughs> oh, oh, it, yeah. My pleasure entirely. Uh, also, I, I really appreciated you having me on the, the, the workshop. And actually, now that you mentioned the whole thing with the, the you know, cultural significance of poetry. Uh, actually, Norway has a pretty fucking rich with that, that I, I totally forgot about while we were talking earlier. Really? What is it? Well, I mean, the skulls, you know, the old sagas and shit. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like in the old days, like you could literally like when if you were traveling, because uh, a lot of a lot of a big part of becoming like a man and a proper person in the old Norway was to travel, you know, yeah. to, to serve in various armies or to trade with foreign nations or, or sometimes to raid. Um, but yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> heading away from norway and doing shit was a big part of becoming a man right that is a very viking mindset if i may say so <laughs> oh <laughs> i think they just wanted to get away from the frozen fucking rock this country is uh, now practical um, interpretation <laughs> <laughs> no no but it's uh yeah like i think it had a lot to do with traveling and bringing treasures and stuff home because you know this country has no fucking resources that you know were useful back then oil wasn't helping anyone and you couldn't you couldn't go to the bottom of the sea the kraken so right in between our two interpretations <laughs> yeah no but it also um 
back in those days, uh, a skald, you know, which is a uh, old Norse for bard, right? It's like a poet traveling, singing, telling stories. Sure. Uh, yeah, like they they could pay for he he could pay for his lodging with another chieftain, sometimes even a king, literally by writing a flattering poem about his uh, his host. Yeah. Yeah, like it was so valued back then that it was called it was considered currency. You could pay for it. Like uh, there's a there's a beautiful old saga about the it's an Icelandic saga uh, about Gunnlaug on Tunga. But you know, Iceland back in the day, Iceland is essentially a museum of old Norway. Uh, you know, it's like it's like a one of our counties just ripped off and floated away because we settled it and they have maintained the culture. <laughs> uh, they're more Norwegian than we are essentially. Because <laughs> we've we've taken a lot of damage from our vassalization by the Swedes and the Danes, uh, but anyways, uh, I'm not laughing at the vassalization because that was probably involved in a bunch of horrific atrocities. I just laughing. No, no, I I don't think it was. It wasn't. It wasn't that kind of vassalization. It was. You know, it wasn't horrible. Uh, although it wasn't ideal, um, but it's like you know what the Brits did to people were way worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no um yeah there's a, an old saga of uh gunlag omtunga uh gunlag uh worm tongue uh and uh it sounds like a villain uh but no he was he's the hero of the story you know uh i'm not gonna tell the story because we were supposed to round off <laughs> but essentially he travels around northern europe and he pays for his stay he even gets nice gifts from some of his hosts by, by being just a good poet. He tells a good poem about the different kings he, he stays with. He serves as a soldier for some of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, he gets a beautiful cloak from one of them, a brand new shield from another, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Like poetry is a big thing. Also okay. world war two poetry, as we've discussed, huge in Norway. And uh, there are modern poems too. That are being done. Actually, there's a there's a, a lot of poetry, just in Bergen that I completely forgot about while we were talking, and I remember now. Like on our tracks, like buses and shit, like yeah. and light rail. There's like TV screens that show like the stops, right? Yeah. And sometimes they have like a little ad that basically says, "Please buy tickets and don't be a douche," uh, you know, because <laughs> a lot of people don't, <laughs> including me, um, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be honest. Um, but they also have like Reise uh, uh traveling poetry, uh, where like the, the bus companies and stuff like that, they, uh, if, you, if you're traveling on a bus or like in a car or the boat or something, and you run a write while you do that, like you write the little poem while you're traveling through like some scenic mountain hill or a fjord or something, or, you know, just through a pretty part of the city. Uh, they want that. They 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 want it so badly. It's putting like little poems up on those TV screens so people can read while they travel. That's interesting. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I thought you might. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's interesting because the RTA, the Cleveland RTA, we, we Cleveland is one of the few cities in the United States. In a lot of cities in the United States, and so you know, New York has their own bus system and subway system, and you know, so I'm obviously not talking about New York, but Cleveland is one of the cities that has a robust bus system, 
and they were talking about getting screens in their buses. And I wonder if that's some, an idea they would entertain, just short like haiku and stuff up there so people could just read it and kind of reflect. It would be interesting. No. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm all this a real end. What's up? No, I had I had nothing to add there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I great minds think alike. I was just slower. Um, okay, let's let's louder. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this has been Moot. Please follow us on Twitter at the Moot Podcast and visit us at the Moot subreddit. Uh, leave us some comments on our subreddit. Uh, get get the conversation going. Let's build a community and stuff because we have listeners now. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's let's. Yeah. Go. Yeah. I mean those insane poor people but hey i love you all of you <laughs> we love you very yeah. much send us send us questions we'll read them on air send us insults we'll read oh them. i would love that oh, oh. And not just questions you know experiences share a story i want i want to read stories out loud something cool cool this is the most poetic end to our podcast that we could possibly have is us like oh, God, yeah. listeners to share their emotional <laughs> responses to us <laughs> I, 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 yeah, like if you have something funny to say, something interesting, or you know what, if you want, if you want my advice, please, and I will give you all of the wisdom I have. I'm not going to say it's a lot. I'm not going to say it's good, but I, I would love that. That would be so fun. It is, it is Joe grown wisdom. Oh yeah. That's the worst kind of wisdom. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's good. It's good. You want it. Yeah. That's right. It, it's yeah, better than it other J names with more syllables in them. Ah, that's right. <laughs> you want every single, you want every single inch of that wisdom. Yeah, you take it. You take it like a good little listener. What am I? Uh, let's get. Let's, let's end this. <laughs> oh my god. What am I doing? <laughs> I don't know. Stop me. This is turning stop. into a totally different podcast. Oh my god! Stop the recording, Jeremy. What are you doing? You're allowing this to happen. I know, on purpose too. Okay, bye bye. Oh, okay, bye bye.